Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. A couple years ago, I had an opportunity to speak at Charleston Southern University. And um, as I was leaving the conference I was speaking at, I was driving home and back to Columbia, South Carolina, where we lived at the time. And I was on the phone with Courtney, my wife, and did something I learned you should probably never do. Um, I hung up very quickly after saying, something's wrong, gotta go, click. And um, just a little advice for the guys, don't ever do that, um, especially if you forget to text back soon after letting her know what's going on. But as I was riding, talking on the phone, I saw the cars in front of me on the interstate begin to hit their brakes. And some of them kind of started bobbing and weaving a little bit. And um, I saw some smoke. So like any guy, I was like, cool, fire. Let's check out what's going on. So I pull over to see what's going on. And there were several cars that had pulled over right ahead of me and people had jumped out of their cars. And so I get out of my car to see what's going on on the side of the road. And there was a small car, maybe, I don't know, 25, 30 yards ahead of me, like a, a Ford Focus or something, like a small car. And there was black smoke coming out from under the hood. And so uh, I get out of the car and I'm looking at this car smoking ahead of me and, um, from the way smoke was coming out of it, uh, back from my law enforcement days, I'd seen a lot of car fires, and I knew this was more than a busted radiator. I knew that, that there was a fire uh, under the hood of this car. And so I get out, and I'm standing with those who had just gotten out of their car, and I watch out of the passenger seat of, the, of this small car, a guy who was probably in high school jump out of the car, and he runs off the side of the road, kind of up the shoulder, a safe distance away. Then I notice out of the driver's seat, um, it, a big old boy, a big, large man gets out of this car. And I remember thinking, wow, that's a big old boy to be getting out of such a small car, right? And I couldn't tell quite how big he was from where I was standing, but let's just describe him as he looked like maybe a sumo wrestler, a big old boy climbs out of this little Ford Focus and he starts walking away from the car in the direction of the younger fella. And then he stops and he turns around and he walks back to the car and it was a, a hatchback. He lifts the, the hatch in the back of the car and he begins to lean into the car. And everyone standing around me, we're going, what's he doing? And so uh, I say to the young guy who gets out, hey, is there somebody else in the car? I'm thinking maybe there's a kid or something in the car. Is there someone in the car? And he was, no, there's no one else in there. Well, what is this big boy doing? What's he looking for in this car? And so I'm still standing back at a, a safe distance, and uh, I see that there's more smoke coming out, and he's digging in the back of the car. And so finally I yell, Hey, brother man, the car's on fire. You might want to get away from it. Well, instead of backing away, he proceeds to climb his big self in the back of this Ford Focus. I mean, took up the whole back of this car, climbing in, digging for something. 
And at this point, I could see flames inside the car. And I've seen it before. If you've ever seen a car fire, if there's flames in the front of the car, what do you have to worry about? Yes, spreading to the back and kapow, you know, it blows up. So I'm yelling at him, hey, big boy, come on, let's get out of that car, man. Come on, it's going to blow up. He's still digging. And so I'm like, dang, somebody got to do something. Anybody want to go get that big boy out of that car? You know, no takers. Okay. So I start jogging towards him. And I'm praying as I'm jogging, dear Lord Jesus, please don't let me die in a Ford Focus fire today. You know, if I'm going to die in a fire, I want to go out in like blaze of glory. You know, like jumping out of a burning building with a, a baby in one hand and a puppy in the other hand, you know. I don't want to die pulling a big boy out of the back of a Ford Focus. You know, that's not how I want to go out. And so I get up to him, and I'd love to lie to you and tell you I threw him over my back and ran to safety. It wasn't happening. You know, I might could get a leg up here, probably more like a little dog yipping at the ankle. I was like, come on, dude, get away, please. What are you doing? You're crazy. Come on, man. This car is going to explode. And we finally get away from the car I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe back the 20 yards or so, and, and probably not more than about 10 seconds had passed, and then all of a sudden I hear it. It really wasn't like the movies, like, kapow. It was a Ford Focus, so it was more like a pop, you know? But the car exploded, and I pulled out my camera, like, like you do in situations like this, you know? And I turn around, and this is the picture I take as I turn around. In fact, what you're looking at there, the back of the car, just maybe 10 seconds earlier, this is the hatchback where he was leaning. And when it exploded, I turned around, and the first thing I saw was this hatchback came slamming down right where he was. And I look at him, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little upset at this point. I'm like, dude, your car just blew up. What are you thinking? Come on, man, trying to get us killed. I ain't trying to die in a Ford Focus fire. What were you digging for in the back of this car that was so important? And this big boy looks down at me in all seriousness, and he says, my iPod was in there. And I'm thinking, big boy, look here. If I was a little bit taller and I could reach, I would put this foot right here, right upside your head. You mean you almost died and you almost got me killed over an iPod? And I'm like, come on, man, you crazy. And I'm like, uh, I walk away, I get in my car, and I'm driving back down the road. Man, some people are so, people don't need to do drugs. What are he, is he thinking? You know? And I'm riding. And the more I ride, I kind of started getting a little bit convicted. And the thought was, Trip, how many times do you live your life in the same way? How many times do you get so preoccupied and you put your focus on things that in the big picture really are very insignificant and you miss the magnitude of what is going on around you? You miss what God's doing. You miss what God wants to do in you. You miss what God wants to do through you and you're living your little life so preoccupied on things in the end no one should really give their life for. We continue in our series today in the book of Acts, a series that we are calling The Invitation. 
And as we continue this series, my prayer is that our eyes will be opened to the magnitude of what it means to live with the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you've missed the past two weeks, I wanna invite you to go to our website or go to our Sugar Hill Church app and check out Pastor Chuck's messages. The first week he introduced the Holy Spirit. And if you weren't here, the big idea is after Jesus died on the cross and he was buried and three days later came back to life, he appeared over the course of 40 days, over 500 people that's recorded on 12 different instances he appears, he shows them, hey, I'm alive. He proves that everything he said he would do, he did do. And then he says, now I am gonna go, I'm not gonna be with you any longer here, I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven, but I'm going to leave for you a gift, a gift of my power and my presence and my spirit. And before he goes into heaven, he tells his disciples, now here's your mission. I want you to go into all the world and make disciples and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he gives them this incredible promise, but I will be with you to the very end. Well, hold on. What do you mean, Jesus? You just said you're about to leave us. You're about to go, but now you're telling us you're going to be with us. And Jesus tells them to go and to wait for this gift. And in Acts chapter 1, Pastor Chuck pointed out that this gift was the Holy Spirit, the presence and the power of God that was left, that came to dwell in those who are followers of Jesus. In the Old Testament, we saw the power and presence of God fall on God's people. Now we see that the presence and the power of God came to reside in God's people. And we looked in Acts 1, verse 8, the promise that we would receive in the Spirit power. And with that power, we're to be witnesses, both here and then to the ends of the earth. Last week in Acts chapter 2, Pastor Chuck looked at the early church. There's so many labels put on churches today. And Pastor Chuck said, you know what? We want to be known as, we, don't, we sure don't want to be known as the coolest church, the hippest church, the biggest church, none of that. We want to be known as a church like the ancient church. And last week, we looked at what a church that is truly led by the Spirit looks like. Today, I want to pick up in Acts chapter 3, and we're going to pick up the pace a little bit. But I want us to notice today the invitation in the Spirit and presence of God to experience the impossible to experience the impossible. And when we pick up in Acts chapter three, we see a story that we really can't skip over because I think it very much speaks to us today as we're challenged to realize the gift, the magnitude of the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church. What does that mean and how we are to respond and how we're to live Every day. So we got to hit this story before we move on. In Acts chapter 3, in verse 1, it says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. 
And as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. And each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. All right, so check out the scene here. There's a man. He had been lame, crippled, not able to walk since birth. He has never walked in his life. And his friends brought him, carried him to the temple gate. So when people came to the temple, he would beg and ask them for money. Well, that day, as was their custom, it says Peter and John, they came to the temple. And as they came to the temple... Having received the presence and the power of God in the Holy Spirit, they came to the temple. They see this man who who was lame, and they see him begging for money. And when he saw Peter and John, he asked them for some money. And Peter and John, in verse 4, they look at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. And the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. So, man, he's trying to get some coins here. He's trying to figure out a way how he's going to eat his next meal. And he says, hey, guys, can I have some money, please? And they look at him and they say, hey, look at us. And so he looks at them eagerly. Why does he look at them eagerly? He's expecting money, right? If someone's asking you for money and you don't want to give money, what do you do most of the time? Uh Are you at like you're on your phone? Okay, hold on one second, you know? They don't do this. He says, can I have some money? And they walk over to him and they say, hey, look at us. Well, okay, yeah, here, I'm looking at you. And what's the next line here? It says uh, in verse six, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. Imagine what this guy's thinking right here. Hey, can I have some money? Yeah, look here. Yeah, we don't have any money. I can imagine instantly, he's like, man, what are you doing? Why are you messing with me? Man, you you see I can't walk. You, you, You see I'm lame. You see I had to be carried here and sat down. And and I just want some coins. I, I mean, just can I have a nickel? And then you tell me to look at you and then you want to mess with me and say, oh yeah, by the way, I don't have any money. That's messed up. Man, what jerks? Why would they do this? Why would they mess with this guy like this? But then Peter immediately follows that we don't have money with, but I will give you what I have. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, Get up and walk. Now, the guy asking for money, they say, oh, yeah, look at us. All right? Yeah, we don't have any money. Oh, yeah, very cool. But I'll give you what I have. Oh, okay. What you got? And they look at him and they say, get up and walk. Uh, They're really being jerks now, you know? First, they want to mess with the guy who's lame. Then they want to say, we don't have money. And then now they want to tell him, oh, just get up and walk. Man, how messed up is this? But notice what they say when they say, get up and walk. They say, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
the Nazarene get him and walk. When they say in the name of Jesus, what they're saying here is by the will and by the authority and by the power of Jesus, get up and walk. And what happens in verse seven, Peter took the lame man by the right hand and he helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. And he jumped up and he stood on his feet and he began to walk. Then walking, leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. See, Peter and John, who had received the power of the Holy Spirit, who had heard Jesus say, and you will do greater things than these, went to the temple that day, and when they saw this man who had need, by the name of Jesus Christ, meaning it was God's will that this man be healed right here. And it was in, in Jesus' name, and by his authority, and by his power, God wanted to heal this man. They experienced the power and the presence of their God in a way that had to be mind-blowing. When God led them, oh, uh, we, we, God, what are we going to do? We don't have any coin. I don't, I don't have any change on me. And when God spoke to them and said, I want you to tell that man to stand up because I'm about to do something through you. Can you imagine their reaction to this? So Peter reaches out his hand, and when he grabs the guy's hand, the guy, he pulls on the guy, and, and the guy stands up, and instantly his bones and his ankles become strong. And for the first time in his life, he begins to walk. And not only does he begin to walk, it says he begins to leap. And he began to praise God. Can you imagine this guy? See, in this story, we see that this man was not only crippled physically, but he was crippled in his thinking. See, he went to the temple that day to get some coins to have a next meal. He didn't go expecting God to meet his greater need. He didn't go expecting his life to be changed. Let me tell you this. When the power and the presence of God is inserted into a situation, our expectations need to rise. The church, although Jesus was not with them physically, his power and his presence was living and residing inside of them. And what we need to understand from this story is as a church, if we're gonna live by the leading of the power and presence of a holy God, our expectations of what God wants to do in us and through us need to rise. How many times do we come to church with little to no expectations of what God wants to do in our lives? How many times do we leave this church with little expectations of what God wants to do through us this week? on Wednesday nights with our middle school and high school students, we've been doing a series that has kind of paralleled what we're doing in here on Sunday morning. And we're calling that series Impossible. And a question I asked the students the other week as we began this series, I said, all right, guys, in all seriousness, I want you to think about how you would answer this question. Inside of you right now, what is your biggest, most significant, and deepest need? 
Now, I want you to think past, oh, I really need some chicken right now because I'm hungry. Think past all of that. And down inside of you, in your heart, in the core of who you are, what area of brokenness, what area of regret, what area of pain inside of you needs to be healed? Okay? Some students write off. How many of y'all have an answer to that? Some students write off, oh, I got an answer, because they live in the reality of that pain and regret and brokenness every day. Some students really just didn't want to think about it. You could tell. And I get it, man. Areas of brokenness and need inside of us, sometimes we, we try to put Band-Aids on it. Sometimes we throw ourselves at other things or other people because we really don't want to deal with that area of brokenness. But I think it is so significant if we take time to be brutally honest with ourselves and realize inside of us what is our deepest need. Because if we're going to insert God and the power and the presence of an all-powerful, all-loving God into our situation, we need to stop expecting nickels and we need to raise our expectation in, in reality that God can meet our deepest needs. God can change our life. He can address the area of brokenness and hurt that we don't even want to think about, that we, we spend all of our time trying to cover up. He can meet those needs. And we see in this story right here that he's jumping, he's running around, he's praising God. And in verse 12, they go into the tabernacle or into the uh, temple there. And Peter saw his opportunity to address the crowd. And he said, people of Israel, what is so surprising about this? I think sometimes we need to realize those words ring true today. We see a miracle. Man, we want to share that all over Facebook. Oh my gosh, can you believe what happened? Well, guys, the reality, the power and the presence of God living inside of us, God wants to do miracles all the time through us. Does that mean it is his will that every person who is lame is healed? No. Does it mean that because we have the power and presence of God in us that we can just walk through hospitals and raise people up? No, it, it, it doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that when we involve an all-powerful, all-loving God in the situation and he's in our lives and he wants to work through us and he wants us to live by his power, God can do anything in us and, and God wants to do things through us that the world thinks is impossible. The problem so many times I think is we don't raise our expectations to realize who we're dealing with. Please don't miss this point right here. There is literally nothing too big for God to do in your life. There is literally nothing too big for God to do in your life. This early church was seeing thousands of people come to know Christ. This early church was seeing what would blow our minds as miracles every day. I just got to believe God wants us to see more of that but our expectations are so low or our minds are on things that are so insignificant, we're missing all that God is doing and wanting to do around us. I want us to jump ahead to Acts chapter nine. And I think this is the best example and illustration in all of scripture of how there is really nothing too big for God. That God can meet 
the biggest, greatest need that you may not even realize you have. And in this story, it's a famous story of the conversion of Saul. If you're not familiar with Saul, Saul was a bad dude. He, he was a bad dude. He, he persecuted those who claimed that Jesus was alive. That was so far out of the realm of his thinking, he actually persecuted people. Before this story, we see the story of Stephen who is testifying that Jesus is alive. And the religious folk become so upset with him, they take him out into the street and they start stoning him, literally throwing large rocks at him until he was dead. We see Saul standing there, basically holding the coats, watching the coats of those who were throwing rocks at Stephen. Saul had gone to the high priest and convinced them to give him the authority and orders to go after anyone who was proclaiming Jesus as Lord and to persecute them and to arrest them and to bring them to even be jailed and killed for their faith. He's a bad dude. And we pick up this story and Saul is on his way to a town called Damascus and his mission is to arrest and apprehend those who are claiming that Jesus is Lord. And we pick up in verse one of chapter nine. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So he's on the way to Damascus to persecute those who were proclaiming Jesus as Lord. As he's walking down the road, a bright light shines from heaven. Now we're told in another passage, this story is so significant, it's told three different times. Uh, we're told in another passage depicting this, that it was noon. So in the middle of the noonday sun, there appears a light and it is so bright, it is blinding. And from this light, a voice from heaven speaks to Saul and calls him by name and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? We see in these next few verses, the impossible, what is many of this day would have called the impossible happen in Saul's life. I think there's three significant things that happen in these next few verses. As Saul realized the impossible in his life, the first one is this, he understood he was dealing with the God of the impossible. God says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul asked a valid and an important question. He says in verse five, who are you, Lord? That's a pretty good question. Who is this talking to me in this light? Who just blinded me? Who, who are you? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. In this moment, 
Saul is faced with the reality that Jesus really is alive. In some ways, this was his biggest fear to come face to face with the reality that Jesus, who he was persecuting, who he had given his life to tell people, no, it's not true, it's impossible. How could he come back from the dead? Stop saying that, that's blasphemous. The reality that Jesus was alive, he came face to face with. And in this moment, everything changes. See, when you understand that you're dealing with a God of the impossible, you realize that nothing is too big. And the response, the Lord responded, I am Jesus. I'm the one you've been persecuting. There's no doubt about who this was here. The fact that Jesus was indeed alive changes everything, everything. I was talking with a family this past weekend and they're having some issues with their um, teenager, Shocker, right? And um, they said, well, you know what? They don't want to come to church. They don't want to be a part of like the, the youth thing you do. They don't want to be involved in any of that. And they just said, I don't want to be preached to. Well, okay, I can understand that. Here's my response. <clears throat> Look here, you don't have to come to church. You don't have to be a part of my little youth thing or you don't have to listen to me preach. You, sh- you really don't have to do that. But let me just point out to you something that you and I probably have in common. What's that? I don't know a person in this world that wants to live for a lie. I I certainly don't want to live for a lie. And my hunch is you don't want to live for a lie either. Well, no. Okay, so... We have that in common. And so let me just share with you. You don't have to listen to me preach and do my thing, but I just want you to know I'm willing to be convinced that what I preach and what I teach and that this book right here, I'm willing to be convinced it's a lie. And if you convince me it's a lie, I'll stop preaching it. I'll change my message. I'll change my tune. But will you be open, because no one wants to live or lie, will you be open to the reality of truth and the implications of that truth in your life? Because the evidence is there that Jesus is alive. And if Jesus is alive, it literally changes everything. That's why we say at Sugar Hill Church, Jesus is the biggest deal. If we get him right, we tend to get everything else right. Jesus is the biggest deal. Who are you? I am Jesus. I am the one that you've been persecuting. How amazing that the very one that Paul had been persecuting by persecuting his body, the church, still pursued Paul. Loved his soul so much, even in the rejection, continued to pursue him. Guys, this is like us. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we say, how could Paul, how could Paul do that? How could, do we do that? In that moment, he comes face to face that who he is dealing with here is the God of the impossible and that changes everything. As we keep reading in the story, if we turn over to Acts chapter 22, which is an expanded version of Paul retelling this story. We see that his question of who are you, Lord, 
I am Jesus whom you are persecuting is followed up with another very significant question here. That question is this, what should I do, Lord? The second big event, number two here, is that he surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. In light of the reality of who God was, that he was face to face with God of the impossible, who was pursuing him and wanting to know him and who was calling him, he immediately realized in light of that reality, I have to surrender all of me to all of him. Nothing else mattered in his life right then. See, there's this false teaching in our society that, um, all right, you can be saved, but a, a separate whole issue is this idea of lordship. Paul realized that's a lie. Paul realized that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, then you can be saved. He surrendered everything to him in this moment. And in this moment, he realized that God could do anything in him. That his deepest need at the core of his heart could be met and so he asked what could be the most freeing question you could ever ask. And that's looking at an all-powerful, all-loving God and saying, God, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then responding in obedience to whatever he says. As Saul surrendered to the lordship of Jesus, we see that God did the impossible, the crazy he did the impossible in him. And then the last thing we see here, number three, the impossible happened in Saul's life as he walked in the power of the spirit of God. We see he said, God, what do you want me to do? And God gave him instructions to get up and walk and he was blind. So how was he gonna get where God told him to go? And he had some guys lead him there and God said, wait. For about three days, he waited and he, he like really just took in everything that had happened and the implications of coming face to face in surrender with an all-powerful God of the impossible. God sends a guy named Ananias to him and he speaks to him. And when we pick up in verse 17, Ananias found Saul and he, he laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, he sent me that you may regain your sight. And instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and he was baptized and he ate some food to regain his strength. He stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and notice in verse 20, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues saying he is indeed the son of God. The same guy that a few days earlier had been killing Christians is now in the synagogue and he's proclaiming the message that Jesus is alive and Jesus is real. If this doesn't speak to the fact that an all-powerful God can not only do anything in you, he can do anything through you, I don't know what is. And in this moment, he began to walk by faith and obedience, allowed God to meet his deepest need and allowed God to change his identity. We see soon after this, Saul began to be referred to as Paul. 
And I think a common misconception is that Jesus changed his name. Jesus did not change his name. See, Saul had actually been given both names. He was given Saul, that was his birth name, with Jewish roots. But as a Roman citizen, he had been given the name Paul, which was his Latin name. But in light of the reality that God had completely changed, not only his identity, but his mission, Saul began referring to himself and others began referring to him as Paul. Why? I think there's two reasons. Number one, he wanted to forget what was behind and press on to what was ahead. He wanted to be known that I am a different person because I've come face to face with an almighty God of the impossible. Second of all, he knew that his mission was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he said, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to break down barriers and walls. I want them to know my new identity and I want them to know this God that can do anything in them and through them. See, Paul was changed from the inside out. And as he submitted his life to God, everything changed, everything. I don't want you to miss this. Here's the takeaway from today. And I think this statement probably sums up the book of Acts, okay? Don't miss this. If God, capital G, God, can do the impossible, then that means that God can do the impossible in you. He can meet your deepest need. He can do whatever he wants to do and he can do the impossible in you, but then that also means that he can do the impossible through you. And as we read the book of Acts, may our eyes be open, may the scales fall from our eyes in the reality that as we live in the power and the presence of the Spirit of God, that changes everything. And we need to raise our expectations of what God wants to do in us and what God wants to do through us. Let's bow our heads together. With our heads bowed, let me ask you, have you, like I do so many times, have you become fixated on some insignificant things? So much so that you have missed the magnitude of what God wants to do in your life through the power of his Holy Spirit. See, today, the God of the impossible, he wants to change you. As you open your heart to him, he wants to meet your deepest need. He wants to become your everything. Even if you've been running from him, even if you've been persecuting him, even if you've been rejecting him, even if you've been telling him no your whole life, he is pursuing you today. There may not be a bright light knocking you to the ground, but perhaps the reality of what God wants to do in you, the reality that the capital G God of the impossible is pursuing you, Perhaps that is hitting you between the eyes today. Would you respond as Saul did and allow God 
to do the impossible in your life? Would you acknowledge the supremacy of Jesus? In your heart, will you simply say, God, I realize that I'm dealing with the God of the impossible. I am face to face with you. Would you respond in obedience by surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus? And realize that following him is not just about saying a prayer or lifting a hand or having a one-time experience. Following him is about taking up your cross daily, denying yourself and surrendering all of you to all of him and what he wants to do in and through you. And would you begin to walk in the power of the spirit of God by allowing him to heal you, by allowing him to change your identity as only he can. This morning, if you've never opened your heart, if you've never opened your heart to the God of the impossible, he wants to change you today. And today, like Paul, your identity can be changed in an instant by opening your heart to him and saying, God, I know that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. And I know that you proved it worked by raising him from the dead three days later. I put my faith and my trust in that and I also believe that this God of the impossible who raised Jesus from the dead wants to live in, reside in my heart and my life. And so God, now I confess my sins and I put my faith and my trust in Jesus and him alone and what he did on the cross to save me. Now I invite you and your power and your presence to come and to live inside of me. God, what do you want me to do? Maybe you have known him, you've asked him in surrender to invade your life and invade your heart. But somewhere along the line, life happened and in life, you become fixated on things that, that really don't matter. And you've just kind of missed the magnitude of everything going on around you. And today you would just wanna say, God, help me to step back and see the big picture. God, help me to see what you wanna do in me. Help me to see what you wanna do through me. And God, in this short life that I have to live on this earth, may I live in the power and the presence of your, your spirit, experiencing all that you wanna do in me and through me. God, I want that. And Father God, may we all raise our expectations today in light of the reality that you are the God of the impossible. So God, do in this church what you wanna do and do in our hearts and lives what you wanna do. Have your way and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.